Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Our speaker this evening holds a bachelor's degree in philosophy and a master's in theology from St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, a master's in education administration from Villanova University, and a doctorate in education from Immaculata College. A Philadelphia native, Bishop Michael Burbage attended St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia and was ordained a priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia in 1984. In 1998, he was made honorary prelate by His Holiness Pope John Paul II with the title of Monsignor. In 2002, Bishop Burbage was ordained a bishop to serve as an auxiliary in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and then was installed as Bishop of Raleigh, North Carolina in 2006 and became the Bishop of Arlington, Virginia in 2016. Your Grace, it is such a blessing to have you with us here at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Father Hezekiah. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that introduction. And thank you, dear friends. I'll be talking a little bit about penance tonight. But it's, it's more of a reflection you know, on this first Sunday of Lent of how we might be able to enter this sacred uh, season. So nothing you haven't heard before, I'm sure. But I have been praying in anticipation of this evening uh, that I at least will be an instrument of the Lord speaking a message to your heart this evening. Uh, something that he wants you to hear specifically and uniquely at the beginning of this season. So perhaps something I say or something we read from sacred scripture or one of the quotes I use is just exactly what God wants you to hear. So let's just begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we pray that uh, we do open your hearts because we know that when we are gathered in your name, you are in our midst. So may our hearts be open to the word you want us to hear this evening, to the message you want us to reflect upon, and most especially to the graces and blessings you will bestow upon us as we begin this sacred season with the hope and desire that we'll be drawn ever closer to you in our relationship with you, sustained by your love and mercy throughout these sacred days and always through Christ our Lord. In Amen. the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as a as a teacher, I love the mission when I look on your the webpage uh, for the Institute. Know the faith, love the faith, live the faith. It says it all. Uh, and I thank you, everyone, for your witness and your commitment to do so. Uh, people who are truly trying every day with God's grace and supporting one another to know the faith, to love the faith and to to live the faith as a the educator in me uh i would just like to uh begin good teacher always says what we're going to do in class tonight so let me just give a summary of what i hope to accomplish uh this evening uh dear friends each lent we deepen and express our interior conversion of heart through works of penance namely prayer fasting and almsgiving their purpose is not to diminish our life or to make us feel or appear gloomy but rather in them, we find deep joy in the working of grace. For through them, our whole lives are radically turned to God and placed in the service of his kingdom. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have begun again the solemn season of Lent over these next six weeks to celebrate our Savior's definitive victory over sin and death. Tonight, we pause to reflect on how we can more fully cooperate with God's grace with the hope that we may come to the Easter sacraments with the fullness of joy that comes from God alone. It is only fitting then that we ground this evening's reflection in a spirit of prayer. As we seek the true meaning of Lent, we heed the advice of St. Cyprian, the third century bishop of Carthage, who notes, what prayer could be more a prayer in the truth 
than the one spoken by the lips of the son who is himself truth. So wherever you are this evening, we are so grateful that you have taken the time to attend this evening virtual event. So let us pray together in the one spirit of Christ. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Truly, there is no part of the Our Father that does not express the deep meaning of Lent. For Lent is about an inner change of heart, turning once again and more fully to our Father's will and the plans of his kingdom, seeking forgiveness and to forgive asking for God's grace to overcome temptation in our lives and for God to free us from all evil. Each Lent, my friends, we deepen and express this interior conversion of heart through works of penance, especially prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Their purpose is not to diminish our life or to make us feel or appear gloomy. Jesus told us on Ash Wednesday that same reality. Rather, in them, we find deep joy in the working of God's grace. That's why we call Lent a joyful season. Through them, our whole lives are radically turned to God and placed in the service of his kingdom. Our radical turning to God, which we call the inner conversion of heart, is never simply our own work, but our cooperation with God's action. That's a mistake we can often make, isn't it? When we begin Lent, there is just that natural tendency to tell God what we are going to do for him. And yet, I think Lent should really begin by us responding to the Lord's question. What do you want me to do for you? The well-known prayer for beginning work and study which we have also prayed as the collect this past Thursday after Ash Wednesday, reminds us all that we do begins in God. Beautiful prayer. Just listen. Prompt our actions with your inspiration, we pray, O Lord, and further them with your constant help, that all we do may always begin from you and by you be brought to completion. God's grace is before us always. It also sustains us and brings us to perfection. So our first task is to be attentive to it. We are called in a special way to be attentive to the word who proclaims the wonderful works of God, who reveals the path to his kingdom. Our profound Catholic tradition teaches that Christ himself is present whenever the scriptures are proclaimed in the church. And at mass today, we encountered the word himself announcing the divine plan to us here and now today. Remember what we heard? This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance begins with acknowledging where we have gone wrong and seeking reconciliation with the Lord. Acknowledging where we have gone wrong can sometimes, perhaps even often, feel like gloomy work. After all, we cannot and should not deny that in this acknowledgement, we are confronted with a challenging truth revealed in sacred scripture itself. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. That is from 1 John Chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. It's a tough truth to hear, isn't it? It's a very tough truth. How can being confronted with it not lead us to despair? Well, because we know the certitude of faith that our Father, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 24, is rich in mercy. Our Lord is rich in mercy. It is the mystery of the Father's mercy 
that we find in the words of Pope Francis, a wellspring of joy, serenity, and peace. Yet we can only enter into this mystery when we recognize that it is a mystery for us. This story helps to explain what mercy is. There's a story told about a mother who appeared before the emperor seeking pardon for her son. But the emperor said, ma'am, your son is a three-time offender. Justice demands his death. The mother said, emperor, I did not ask for justice. I beg for mercy. The emperor replied, the boy does not deserve mercy. The mother said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. The emperor exclaimed, well, then I shall have mercy. And the mother's son was saved. We are saved, dear friends, not because we earn the gift, not because we deserve it. Mercy is a free gift from a loving and generous God. The mystery of mercy is for us. God knows what we need in our human condition. He recognizes our failings and weaknesses, even when we choose to ignore them. Yet he still offers us his mercy. Jesus reveals the Father's mercy when he instructs Peter on how we are to forgive. Not seven times, but 77 times, which really means to never stop offering forgiveness. We can only forgive others in this way because this is how God has forgiven us in Christ. The mystery of mercy is for us because it brings about that true happiness that we all seek. How much do we hide our faults and weaknesses? Because we believe that naming them aloud or even thinking about them will bring about unhappiness. Perhaps this seems to be a logical conclusion based on our experiences. Not only strangers, but even family members and friends in their own weaknesses might use our faults against us, belittle us because of our shortcomings in ways big and small. Sadly, I'm sure that at one point in life or another, we've all been on that side of such treatment. It's a terrible experience, but sadly, an all too common one. Unfortunately, we can bring these ideas formed by the brokenness of humanity to our understanding of God and his offer of reconciliation through the church. We need to be reminded again and again that God wants us to see our need for his mercy, not in order to use our failings against us or belittle us. Our God would never do that. But the opposite, to bind our wounds, to heal, to comfort, to transform. May we never forget that simple yet powerful prayer of Jesus at the very moment he suffered most for our, on our sins, pleading on the, car, on the cross, Father, forgive them. And so we cry out in the psalm, in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4 and 12 and 14. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt and of my sins, cleanse me. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not out from your presence and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Give me back the joy of your salvation and a willing spirit sustain in me. I suggest to your friends that every Friday, if you can, to pray Psalm 51. Pray it before you celebrate it, the sacrament of reconciliation. Pray it after you receive God's absolution. A prayer that I say daily comes from Psalm 51. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me.
This is precisely what we experience in the sacrament of reconciliation. God creates a clean heart and renews our spirit. And we know the feeling as soon as we leave the confessional, a clean heart, a renewed spirit. Whether you practice the faith daily or have been away from the church for a while, I suggest that you celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation, not the week before Easter, but really now at the beginning of this sacred season. In this sacrament, we express our sorrow for our sins and ask God to create within us a new heart, a heart more fully attentive and open to Christ. God invites us to work with him to place Christ back at the center of our lives so that he may shine forth in our words and deeds. Our response is all the more urgent because turning away from God also damages the bond that unites us. How great is our need for unity in these times, in our country and in our church? Reconciliation heals that brokenness and also has a revitalizing effect on the life of the church, which suffered from the sin of one of her members. You see, when one sins, the whole body suffers. Yet when one seeks forgiveness, the body is refreshed. That's why sometimes you, you always hear people say, well, why can't I just tell God I'm sorry in the privacy of my room? Well, we can do that. But it's never sufficient. When one sin, the whole body suffers. When one seeks forgiveness, the whole body is refreshed. It's an act of communion. When we humbly acknowledge the suffering we have caused and ask for God's mercy, we share in God's work of caring for Christ's body, the church, because we are her members. Reconciled and reunited with our Lord, we turn to the three Lenten practices and disciplines that orient our hearts to humility and prepare us for the resurrection. On my Ash Wednesday homily this year, I suggested that we all pray for the gift of humility. Humility is not just the ability to take oneself not too seriously. That reminds me of a, another humorous story but a humorous story about a uh, Don Shula. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. He was a famous football coach for the Miami Dolphins. And right when he was in the, the kind of the core of his popularity, he and his wife and three children went away to a, a remote town just to get away from it all and to be on a vacation. And they were somewhat bored. So one night they went into the town where there was the only movie theater in town. It was in the middle of nowhere. And he and his wife and the, and the three children walked into the movie theater and there were like 15 people there and they all stood and, and started to applaud and applaud. And Don Shula turned to the, to the people and he said, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm just so honored. I, I, I can't believe that, that you'd recognize me, that you know who I am. And then one guy shouted back, sir, we have no idea who you are. We were just told unless five more people came, they were not showing the movie tonight. So humility does help us not to take ourselves so seriously, but it's so much more than that. And that's why I say we pray for it at the beginning of Lent. It helps us to see who we are in the sight of God, his beloved and his chosen one. And nothing ever changes that. Humility help us helps us to acknowledge that at the same time, we are sinners, we are weak and in need of God's mercy. And humility helps us to understand that there's nothing we can accomplish. There is nothing we can transform in our lives or change in our lives without the help and divine assistance of the Lord. Throughout this Lent, pray for humility. The first discipline is prayer. Our church teaches that prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God, and that humility is the foundation of prayer. Humble prayer helps us to understand that God is God and we are not. 
One quick little joke there. Reminds me of this uh, young woman. She got engaged and she wanted her father, uh, her boy, her fiance to meet her father and was a little bit nervous about it because her father was very particular about who his daughter would marry. So the, the young girl introduces the, the father to uh, her fiance and he said, I want to talk to this young man by myself. And so they go into this room and the young, uh, the father says to the young man, listen, my wife is, uh, my daughter is used to the finest of education. Uh, what are you going to do about that? He says, God will provide. Father said, well, listen, she's used to traveling a lot, traveling around the world. And I want my grandchildren to be able to do the same. What are you going to do about that? And he said, well, God will provide. He said, well, you know, she's used to having the best of, you know, technology. And I want my grandchildren and all to have all that. What are you going to do about it? And the young man said, God will provide. And so the interview is over. And of course, the daughter is outside with her mom saying, so dad, dad, what do you think of this guy? And he says, I kind of like him. He thinks I'm God. So, so sometimes in prayer, we cannot be acting as if everything depends on us or that everything depends on someone else. Prayer is saying, you alone, God, are the source of all that I seek and desire. And to you, I lift up my heart and soul. Since the very beginning of the church, Christians have started and ended each day with prayer. It's the perfect starting point of the day ahead. And by reflecting on all that occurred throughout our day in prayer, we know better what must change if we are to arise tomorrow in greater spiritual health than what we did today. I always think, dear friends, just to get a pulse and a check on our spiritual life. At least pay attention closely to how you begin the day and how you end the day. We all remember being taught the morning offering. I think it's a great prayer. Just to be reminded instead of getting up and getting on that treadmill and getting on that busy pace we're heading to, to offer everything to God. Do not start the day without that morning offering. And you know, at night, one of the greatest prayers that we can offer is when we're able to say to the Lord, enough is enough. You know, Lord, I worked hard today, put in a lot of hours. I gave you my best, didn't get everything done. There's still a lot to do tomorrow, but you know, it's enough. Let me just now rest. Let me just talk to you for a little bit and entrust everything into your hand. That night prayer can be really an act of faith. Avoid working and working and working to the very end. And then the only thing you have to give God is just being drained and just saying a few words and crashing. That's not the way we want to do our night prayer. So pay attention to slant. How are you beginning your day? How are you ending your day? There are different ways in which we can listen to the voice of God in our life. Silence, which is so rare in our busy lives, is one of the most important. So often we are making too much noise to hear our Lord speaking to us. Rest in silence. Recognize his presence. That's one of my pet peeves, honestly, in our diocese when we have holy hours. We've had some very beautiful holy hours in our diocese recently. It's called Uplift Arlington, holy hour for people dealing with anxiety and stress in the midst of these very challenging times, a holy hour in January for peace in our nation when there was so much turmoil, just recently in January, holy hour for the reverence of all human life, and people with good intentions plans these holy hours, and yet I notice that there's always a trend where we want to fill all 60 minutes we want to read and preach and sing and do litanies and all those things are good. All those things are good. But I always ask, where is there the time for silence? There's no song. There's no preaching. There's nothing that can take the place of that. 
where we have a holy hour, now time for people to be still and to be quiet and to be silent in the Lord's presence, something we must make sure we're doing in our own lives. And additionally, we must take time to sit and reflect upon sacred scriptures. The timeless truths of the Bible remind us of God's eternal nature and the eternal reward those who devote their lives to him will receive. We must make it a practice within our morning and evening prayer to read scripture, to listen to God's voice. And we also need communal prayer, admitting the challenges presented by the current pandemic. I understand that. But there are some things perhaps we still can do together. During Lent, the church gathers for devotions, such as the Stations of the Cross. We celebrate frequently the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Yes, even if it is only the confessor and the penitent, as I said earlier, it is still communal prayer, both for the reasons we have already discussed and because of the great benefits of our regular participation in it. For frequent confession is not a mere ritual repetition or psychological exercise, but a serious striving to perfect the grace of baptism, the commitment of which we renew in a special way at the great Paschal Feast. We strive in this way so that as we bear in our body the death of Christ, his life might ever be more clearly within us. Above all, we celebrate the Eucharist through our taking part in the sacrifice Listen to some of the words we pray during this sacred season, that through the yearly observances of Holy Lent, we may grow in understanding and of the riches hidden in Christ and by worthy conduct, pursue their effects. And that we bring before God as the fruit of bodily penance, a joyful purity of heart and that receiving communion, we may be cleansed of wrongdoing and make us heir to the joys of heaven, and that God's protection may keep us ever safe, all those who trust in God's mercy. All of these dedicated ways of praying and others we gauge in during Lent inform how we act at every other moment in our lives. These specialized moments of prayer shape us so that we are better able to follow the will of God who desires, as we hear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in all circumstances, give thanks. Fasting, the second Lenten practice, requires the spiritual strength that comes from God alone, and it presumes a relationship with God in prayer. Recently, I was on an uh, interview on one of the um, talk shows, cable talk shows. And the anchor uh, was asking me some ideas about Lent uh, and very, very good man. And he was saying, you know, Bishop, we we used to hear uh, that we're supposed to fast, you know, like you give up candy or give up cake or give up uh, television or whatever. But, you know, I was thinking that it's really not about giving up. It's about doing. It's about doing more. And I was trying to explain that, yes, that's the whole purpose of fasting. You know, the fasting reminds us that only God can desire uh, our deepest longings. And that fasting, you know, leads us, you know, to fill that emptiness with good works and good deeds. I did agree with him on that point. But then I turned to him and I said, but guess what? As your spiritual advisor, I'm still saying give up something for Lent. And I think we're never too young or too old to do that. It's a healthy reminder of what we need to, to hear. A stark reminder of our dependency on God. Fasting is challenging because through it, we experience our human frailty. Consider, for example, how hunger can make us quick to anger or frustration. That is why through prayer and self-discipline, we strive to protect Christ's presence as our sure spiritual foundation. Recalling that he was tempted by the devil only after his 40-day fast in the desert, as we heard in today's gospel, we turn to Christ because he intimately knows our human weaknesses, including the temptations we face. You know what true fasting is? It's a symbolic expression of our detachment from sin. 
What we fast from is not necessarily sinful. Cake, candy, it's not necessarily sinful. For example, during Lent and other times, we fast from such foods that we ordinarily need to sustain our life as sacred beings. Symbolically, however, fasting shows that we are committed to keeping Christ at the center of our lives amidst the needs and wants of this world. Through fasting, we demonstrate our will not to be distracted, to remain focused on our Lord. Fasting expresses we are committed to basing our life on his divine plan. As we said earlier, thy will be done. We can also view fasting as placing a restriction on ourselves on what is non-essential or even harmful so that we can be more truly free by living a deeper communion with God. All of us, dear friends, have to deal with areas of servitude, whether in regard to smoking or alcohol consumption, misuse sexuality, uncontrolled gambling, spiritual obsessions, use of stimulants, immoderate use of the internet, excessive amounts of television watching, or preoccupation with other forms of entertainment. By fasting and self-denial, by living lives of moderation, we have more energy to devote to God's purposes and a better self-esteem that helps us to be more concerned with the well-being of others. Therefore, during Lent, we do not take the practice of fasting lightly. Whatever we fast from, the purpose is always to lead us to God as well as to others. So in Lent and during this season, we also place special importance on Fridays on which we abstain from meat. Since the beginning of the church, Christians have observed Friday as a day of penance through the precise penitential disciplines on this day have developed over the centuries. Friday, as you know, was chosen because it traditionally is associated with the day of the week on which Christ died for our salvation. Good Friday. Friday is always referred to as a preparation day, drawing from the theology of the Gospel of John, that Christ is the sacrificial lamb crucified on the day that lambs were prepared for Passover. And even outside of Lent, Friday should be in each week something of what Lent is in the entire year to prepare us for the weekly Easter that comes to us every Sunday. In the end, our Lenten fast and all our fasting should strive for the true fast that God reveals through the prophet Isaiah, who also proclaims the rich fruits of such fasting. If you have your Bibles with you, Isaiah 58, 6 to 11. This rather is the fasting that I wish, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wounds shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then light shall rise for you in the darkness, and the gloom shall become for you like midday. Then the Lord will guide you always and give you plenty, even on the parched land. He will renew your strength, and you shall be like a water garden, like a spring whose water never fails. That is the fasting to which the Lord, our God, calls us. An almsgiving. St. Leo the Great said, there is no more profitable practice as a companion to a holy and spiritual fasting than that of almsgiving. This past year has been a time of heightened awareness of the importance of giving our time and our treasure. And I have to say, dear friends, in our diocese of Arlington, and I know in dioceses throughout the country, I've spoken to many of my brother bishops, 
It has been all inspiring to see the generosity of people. There's something good within all of us. And when we hit a time of need, as we have been through this pandemic, to see how people with means have been so considerate of others, contributing to those ministries that help to feed the hungry, uh, to clothe the poor, to provide counseling, to help with rent. It's been absolutely amazing to see. And more than ever, that almsgiving is being asked of us. We all remember the story of the poor widow, all that Jesus asked, just give me what you have. Whatever you have is not too small, as long as you give it to me, trusting that I will use it miraculously. Works of mercy are also especially important during Lent because this solemn season, we journey with Christ toward Jerusalem, uniting our trials and sufferings to his. He reveals to his disciples how he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Read with me, if you can, Matthew 25, 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me. Ill and you cared for me. In prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you ill or in prison to visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. During the current pandemic that has reshaped our lives in so many ways, it can seem difficult to carry out these works of mercy because of the protocols and the distancing, all those kind of things, which we have to be concerned for others. But nevertheless, if we think creatively, we still can find ways to bring the joy of Christ's gospel to those in need. And by doing so, share in that joy ourselves. When giving alms, make an effort to support those impacted by the coronavirus. Your local parish and diocesan Catholic charities can certainly help. Let me just give you some practical examples during this time where protocols are, are impacting our lives. To feed the hungry, offer to bring grocery to the elderly or to others who might be especially vulnerable. To give drink to the thirsty, be a responsible consumer in how you purchase and consume drinking water, ensuring enough remains for everyone. To shelter the homeless, Donate sanitizing products and toiletries to a local shelter. Boy, people are always in need of them. While we cannot visit the sick person, while we cannot visit the sick in person, technology can be a wonderful means of connecting people safely. Our priests and, and, and parishioners have done such a great job with that. Offer to make regular phone calls or video calls to the homebound. Again, visiting those in prison is not possible in person now but consider writing letters or providing other outreach to help those in prison who feel isolated and alone. Engage in the work of burying the dead by reaching out to loved ones of the deceased through letters or calls, maybe someone who, who lost someone this past year, or visiting a cemetery and praying for the dead. In all these ways, even in these challenging times, we can continue to offer alms. Dear friends, as we participate in Lent through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, following a year filled with hardships, we know with the certainty of faith that our preparations lead to the joy of the Paschal Feast. Last Lent, when so much was shut down, when we were physically far from one another, when we were experiencing fear of the unknown, Pope Francis reminded us, he said, Embracing Christ's cross means finding the courage to embrace all the hardships of the present time, abandoning for a moment 
our eagerness for power and possessions in order to make room for the creativity that only the spirit is capable of inspiring. Embracing the Lord in order to embrace hope. That is the strength of faith, which frees us from fear and gives us hope. These words are as fresh and meaningful today as they were a year ago. And this Lent is another opportunity for us to grow closer to our Lord through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It is my prayer, therefore, that this Lent will be an occasion for each and every one of us to deepen and express an interior conversion of heart through works of penance, especially prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It is my hope that these penitential disciplines will be an avenue for finding deep joy in the working of God's grace in your life. Through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, may our Lord Jesus bless you with his joy and peace and sustain you in his love and mercy throughout the sacred season of Lent and always. Thank you so much for your kind attention, for listening, and let us promise that we will continue to pray for one another. Thank you, everyone. Bishop Burbage, this is from Sharon. She says, can you expand on the corporate connection of our sin as members of the body of Christ um, to be aware of how my sin affects others? Right. Yeah. And so we talk about what well, we always talk about that we are in communion with one another. That's how God created us, right? To in his own image and in likeness uh, to live together, to form the body of Christ. And so there is nothing that we say or do that in one way does not impact the, the body itself. Uh, and so there are what we know with, with sin, there are always consequences. And this, the consequences do not just uh, are not just in a personal way. Uh, it, it damages the union. Uh, it fractures the union that's supposed to be there. Um, and, and we all we could all think of practical examples of that. You know, um, if I'm being if I'm sinning through uh, selfishness, I'm being selfish with with what I I, I uh, my possessions, I'm clinging or whatever. Well, that's not just a sin against me. I am depriving the community of what naturally belongs to them. So God never created us to be in isolation. So we don't love in isolation. We don't sin in isolation. Your Grace, we have a question coming from from Anne. I think it's a really good question. It says, how do we know for Lent that we are doing enough penance, almsgiving, fasting, and prayer? And how do we find the balance between doing enough and trying to do too much and then giving up? It's a great, it's like an American question, you know, because we always want to jump in and do more. Right. That's a very good question. And, um, you know, again, I think it begins with prayer, right? It begins with uh, discernment. you know, I, I don't think we just should begin Lent by making a list of this is what I'm giving up, giving up, giving up. This is what I'm doing, doing, doing. It's like to have that moment of prayer of discerning. I think what we do for Lent is a, is a, is a discernment. Where am I right now, Lord, in my life? And what are those practices that will help me to become that new creation that you want me to become and allow me to become through the great joy of of Easter. And so throughout Lent, I mean, the Lord wants us to stay uh, attentive. Uh, He wants us to stay awake. Uh, He wants us to stay healthy uh, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So if we are going to a certain extreme where, uh, we're, it's, it's impossible because what we're giving up that I can even stay awake and be attentive during prayer, or I'm getting sick, or I can't carry out my duties with the Lord. That's not what the Lord is asking us to do. He wants us to be strong and steadfast, attentive and awake at our very best. Uh, And so so that healthy balance uh, that we talk about in life is also very necessary in in Lent. And and don't forget, God's not measuring uh, so much the quantity, but rather that that quality. If I say if I say I'm going to do something, then be all in with that. 
you know, uh, and, and, and don't try to do everything. We can't do everything. Focus on, on something that, that really, you know, will help to, to kind of just bring you to that next level God wants you to be in. And don't, don't be overwhelmed. If Lent begins overwhelming you and you just keep getting down because you, you set the bar so high and you just keep getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated, then, then you're probably taking too much on. I always try to say, try to take Lent day by day. How did I do today? This is what I told God I was going to do. How did I do today? You know, not looking at the whole 40 days because that can be overwhelming. Just go day by day. Your Excellency, Aaron asks, do you have any advice for those of us who wish to practice almsgiving but have very little of our own to give? How do we fulfill this obligation? Yeah, and I would say that, again, that that amount uh, with the poor widow, it doesn't matter, you know, if, you know, the two coins or whatever uh, is enough because God will use that miraculously. If we're without means, uh, you know, financially, uh, certainly, you know, the offering of our of our prayers uh, is probably one of the greatest gifts that we can can give uh, to others who are in need uh, and our in our time and our talent. You know, uh, sometimes people do not have the resources, but they have a gift or they have a talent that they can share or, you know, offer to volunteer or whatever. So we all have something to offer and it varies from one person to another. And what really matters is the love in which we, we give it to God. Your Grace, um, there's a couple of questions coming in. I'm just going to consolidate regarding preparation for the sacrament of penance and asking for your recommendations, um, how to benefit, fully benefit from this, from this, this holy sacrament and, uh, how to prepare myself, you know, to approach it in the best way so that I can get, receive all the, all of the fruits. Yeah. And, um, again, I think that, you know, humility, pray for the gift of humility to, uh, Go before the Lord and, and no matter what the sin or what the failure or mistake it may be, for those who are sorrow, sorry, those who are promising to, to amend their lives, there's no sin greater than his mercy and love. Um, you know, we had that great image, uh, you know, the Sunday before last uh, of the leper, you know, the leper. Lord, if you wish, uh, you can make me clean. And the Lord said, I do wish, and the man was healed. We all have, can detect in our lives, uh, our unique leprosy, uh, something in our lives that's not clean, uh, something that needs to be healed. And I, I really think that, and I, I, we probably all know this from our own experiences, that the uh, best confessions that we make are when we do not try to hide or disguise, but really to put it all on the table, to name it. We always know that healing takes place when it's acknowledged and when it's named. Uh, And sometimes perhaps we've had the experience where we kind of only told a little bit of what we said and kind of wrapped it around in general terms. I think the Lord wants to say, no, don't you trust me? Name it. What? What? Say it. What is it? Say it. Give it to me. Give it to me. I do will that you be clean. And so I, I, I pray that when you go into that sacrament of penance, that that you're you're not you're not holding anything back. Uh, you're giving it all to the Lord, and by doing so, you're allowing Him to heal you. And so I think that's very very important when we make our confessions. Grace, just one more question coming in that I think is um, that is, uh, is is a good question. It's helpful, I think, to a lot of us. Is you know we go to confession time after time, and and often oftentimes uh, we find ourselves confessing the same sins. The question: What what do we do with this? I mean, we want to be healed, and yet we continually come with the same sins over and over again. Yeah, and again, it reminds us that, you know, that we are weak, uh, that we are in the flesh, uh, and we're in need of constant healing uh, and renewal. You know, the Lord never tires of patience uh, with us, and uh, sometimes we're too impatient with ourselves. We think that, all right, I do want to do better. I say it, and then I, 
you know, fall back into it. C, I can't do this. I keep repeating the same thing. That's when I think actually, that's where I think the, actually where the evil one loves to work. He loves to get us to think that we can't do it, that we can't do it. Uh, you see, you, you, you thought you were going to stop this and that you said you were sorry. Look at that. Five days afterwards, you did the same thing again. See, you can't do it. And, and, and what the, what, what, so what does that lead to? It leads to a, a despair. It leads to giving up. And then the evil one wins. And so what we have to do is saying is just to be patient with ourselves. And when we fall, the Lord allows us to pick ourselves up and to try again. And every time that we try again, even if we have to repeat something, the Lord delights in our efforts. Don't forget, the Lord blesses our efforts, too. He just doesn't bless our success. He blesses our efforts, our trying, our trying to, to do again. And, you know, I often sometimes think of those. I love some of the healing stories in the Gospels, you know. You know, sometimes it's been 38 years and now the, the person was finally healed. You never know when that moment is where, you know, it, it finally worked. I, I, I confessed I was forgiveness and I'm not doing that anymore. We don't know when that will occur, but we got to give the opportunity to the Lord to forgive us. And over and over again, he's never tires of doing that. And so we can never, as Pope Francis says, we can never be tired of asking uh, and to be patient. We have to be patient with ourselves or less the devil's going to seize that. He's going to seize that. So we stop trying. Thank you, Grace. If you could please give us your apostolic blessing, we would greatly appreciate that. Sure. I do pray everyone through the intercession of Mary, our mother and St. Joseph, that our Lord Jesus will bless you in his love and mercy. Keep you strong and steadfast in the faith, joyful in hope, constant in charity. Keep you and all those you love safe and healthy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.